This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. From the glaciers of Alaska to the dunes of Indiana, I want 50 feminist states. From the waves of New Hampshire to the skies of Montana, I want 50 feminist states. Hi, 50 Feminist States fam, Amelia here, and today I am here to bring you a very special episode featuring one of our very own 50 Feminist States podcast fellows. So in case you missed my announcement about this earlier this year, the 50 Feminist States Podcast Fellowship is a three-month paid opportunity to learn how to podcast and then record and produce an episode of 50 Feminist States. I opened up applications for this fellowship in, I believe, February and picked three amazing fellows that worked with me in March to learn how to podcast. Their names are Mary L. Chang, L'Oreal Thompson-Payton, and Angie Iglesias. And in this episode, you're going to hear me chat with Mary L. Chang and introduce her to you so that you'll know a little bit more about her when you hear the episode that she's going to produce for the podcast that'll come out later this summer. Mary L. Chang is a Chinese-American freelance writer based in the Washington, D.C. area. She's a cell biologist by training and was successful in the nonprofit scientific publishing arena before realizing that she needed to find inner peace and her sole purpose. Mary is also an accomplished music journalist, which you'll hear us talk about in today's episode. She's interviewed internationally acclaimed artists and covered major music events around the world. In our conversation that you'll hear today, we talked about how she got into music writing and some common misperceptions about her. We also spoke about her feminist heroes and why it was important to her to learn how to podcast. As always, you can find more from the podcast on Instagram at 50 Feminist States and support our work with a donation on our glow.fm page. There's links to all that in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Mary and that you tune in when the episode that she produces is live later this summer. For now, here's Mary. Hi, Mary. I am so pumped to introduce you to 50 Feminist States listeners. Can you tell them a little bit about yourself and why you applied for the fellowship? I am Chinese American. I am American by birth, Chinese by ethnicity. I am a trained biologist. I was successful in the nonprofit scientific publishing field for many, many years. I was the editor organizing scientific journals in various disciplines. Also, I ran a internationally read, well-regarded music website for many, many years. There goes the fear. That's still online, but it's basically on hiatus because of the pandemic, since mm-hmm. none of us can travel. I wanted to apply for the 50 Feminist States Podcast Fellowship because I realized that there weren't as many Asian American or Asian voices, and I wanted to add my voice and my experiences. I'm a unique combination of different things based on my background and what things I have done professionally. And so Mm -hmm. I thought that 
my voice would be an interesting addition to 50 Feminist States. So yeah, and I'm excited to be here too. Yeah. I loved reading your application because you really wove together, I think, what so many people, probably myself included, think of as very like different things like science and music writing mm-hmm. and like all these different areas of focus in your work. And you really were able to, I think, on my reading, tell a story about storytelling in these different areas. And then in your application, paint a really beautiful picture, maybe we'll say, of, of how you wanted to take all of this expertise, sharing stories about other things and people and start to share your own stories and your own experience and kind of reflect that back to all of us, which I think is really, really beautiful. How did you get into music writing? Tell me more about this music blog. I guess you could say that it's related to that old adage, necessity is the mother invention, ultimately. (laughs) Yeah. In the late 2000s, indie bands that I liked from abroad weren't necessarily coming to Washington, D.C., and I wanted to change Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Going back a little bit further to how I got into music writing initially, when I started in nonprofit scientific publishing, I was given this really big office. I had a door. The first thing that I wanted to mention about this office I thought was kind of weird and almost faded was the fact that my mother actually had the same office with a different organization in the same building in the 70s. So there's that connection. Mm -hmm. Like we were supposed to have that room. Yeah. The room was bigger than my dorm room. It was huge. (laughs) And publishing and editing, writing type work, a lot of people have cubicles, so there's not a whole lot of Mm -hmm. privacy. Being able to close the door, I could listen to any kind of music I wanted, really, Mm -hmm. at any volume because nobody could hear me. (laughs) Then I started listening to a lot of internet radio. I was disillusioned with the radio that was available to me, corporate type radio here in the DC area. And so I got into internet radio. I started listening to a lot of the BBC radio stations in the UK. The station that I tended to listen to a lot was BBC Radio 6 Music, which is the independent artists station. Mm -hmm. The DJs on that station really championed the little guys, the up and coming kind of stars. A lot of artists and music these days get broken in Britain first Mm -hmm. because of the way that radio is over there on the Mm -hmm. national stage. Mm-hmm. and just giving them a chance. I think it's much more difficult here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so I find out about a band that my friends here wouldn't have never heard of. And mm-hmm. I'd see these names pop up on the calendars of the local clubs in DC. And then the next thing that I noticed was, oh, well, this band's going to Philadelphia and they're not coming to DC because the first time that bands come to the United States, they don't have a whole lot of money. They'll play yeah. in New York and Los Angeles for sure. And then if they have a little bit extra money, they'll add on other shows. And at the time, Mm -hmm. they were really having to choose between Philadelphia and D.C. And I wanted to change that. I wanted to make it such that D.C. would be a destination they'd actually want to come and play at. Mm -hmm. I contacted this editor-in-chief who ran this nationwide blog. She had people all over the country, but she didn't have anyone in D.C. And so I pitched myself, Mm -hmm. hey, if you take me on, I'll cover the shows in D.C. that you want covered. And so that's really how it happened. I won't take full credit on the variety and the breadth of artists that came to DC. 
after I had started writing, but I know talking to a lot of bands and their management, knowing that they had someone like me in their corner mm-hmm. and that was going to be coming to their show really mm-hmm. changed their minds of whether they would come to Washington. So I feel very proud of having that important impact on my city. Yeah, that's so badass. And just so much, I don't know, tenacity and culture making. I think that that's really just so, so cool. (laughs) I I feel like I should have a more profound way to say that. Just such a testament to the power that someone can have because you were going to show up and listen to both their music. And I imagine try to talk to them about why they make their music and where it's coming from and what they have to say. Then they wanted to be in that space with you, which is really special. Well, thank you. You're welcome. So one question that you submitted for folks tuned in, I asked all of the podcast fellows to submit some questions I could ask them as part of their fellowship. Mary, you wrote this amazing question that I am so pumped to ask you, which is what is a common misconception about you? I like this question when I'm interviewing people because it makes you think a little bit more out of the box. And especially when you're interviewing musicians, they're usually promoting something. It's kind of like when you watch late night TV and somebody's on and they're promoting their book or their movie, right? You know why they're there. And so Mm -hmm. I always use this question as a self-awareness question, if you will. And I love the question for myself, really, because I know that I've done a lot of inner work during this pandemic when we've all been forced inside, but we've been locked down and we haven't been with a lot of people or we aren't doing a lot of the things that we would have normally done, right? I've really been, I think forced is a strong word, but (laughs) I can't think of any better word. I feel like I've been forced to examine where I've come from, so to speak, who Mm -hmm. I've been and what I think I want to become once Mm -hmm. we come out of this pandemic and once we go forward. I think the first misconception people have about me, especially knowing my background as a music writer and having run this internationally famous music website, There Goes the Fear, is that it came about very easily. Now, Mm. I will say that the writing part comes to me very easily. I've been writing since I was young. I think Mm. I wrote my first novel before the age of 10. I mean, it just words come to me very easily. Mm. It's the one artistic medium that comes to me very easily. So that part was the easy part. The more difficult part for anything when you're on the national or international stage is putting yourself out there. Mm -hmm. Growing up, I was extremely shy. I was painfully introverted. That's the way that I always was as a kid. Mm -hmm. The difficult part for me was really advocating for myself. Mm -hmm. In some ways, I feel like I had a bit of baptism by fire that I was not expecting because I didn't know this until I really got into it. When I joined There Goes the Fear, it was being run by a man that lived in England. I was their female USA editor, and I didn't have any thoughts about male versus female editor. We were all excited to be doing it. Once I got out more and started interacting with more people in the industry, I realized, gosh, you know, this is not an industry that necessarily takes kindly to women. And also Mm -hmm. I was a rarity at being an Asian woman as on top of that. In the beginning, much more so when I'd go to, let's say a show and I was supposed to interview a band before the show, Mm -hmm. I'd have difficulty with venue staff or sometimes even the managers themselves because they were surprised to see I was the person that the outlet had Mm -hmm. sent. While they wouldn't say, oh my God, you're a woman. I do feel Mm -hmm. like based on the reactions, Mm -hmm. I could pick up. They were surprised that not only was a woman, but that I was Chinese, Asian. Mm -hmm. That took some getting used to. Now, 
I will say once I got more known, that became less of an issue, which I was glad for. I will say, though, it was really through me deciding that I wanted to put the hard work in because this really became a labor of love to me Mm -hmm. and me just not letting myself feel down about how I was being accepted or reacted to and just keep moving forward. The goals that I had set in my mind, I said, this is what I want to do. This is the kind of writing that I want to do. This is what I want to do to promote bands and artists when they come over here for the first time to US. Mm -hmm. Luckily, I had a few really good friends that I'm still friends with now in the UK music business who are really supportive. They lent a hand when I needed help. They gave me advice on how to handle things. And they supported me through all the difficult times. And even when you go into something and you really have this drive and say, I'm going to do this, this and this, it's always good to have people in your quarter who are going to support you. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. the other misconception that I wanted to talk about was Asian stereotypes, me being a Chinese person that was born here. My parents were Chinese immigrants, and I've worked in industries that did not have good Asian representation. I realize that's common since we're a minority, obviously, and generalizations are bad as a rule anyway. But I think specifically with Asians, I think we're seeing as recent events have unfolded things like what happened in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. that people's prior stereotypes about certain minorities are really being tested at this moment. And I think the most damaging misconception that people have generally about Asians is that if it's in the workplace or in society, they will accept anything that's dished out to them and they won't complain and fight back. Mm-hmm. For myself, that's certainly how I was expected to behave as a child and what was modeled to me. It's taken some considerable time for me to refine my confidence and speak up for myself, whether it's in the music industry or generally in society. It's something that just didn't come to me naturally, whereas I know for some people, depending on how they were raised, it comes very naturally to them because their parents told them or showed them, this is okay. This is an okay way to behave. I'd like people to understand that we all have different upbringings and we aren't necessarily going to act or react the same way that they do. Mm -hmm. We need to have empathy in terms of everyone's coming from a different place and has had different experiences. So the more that we can be empathetic and listen to other people, I think the better off we'll be as a society. Mm. Yeah. I think too, being empathetic and also holding space for all of that difference Mm -hmm. is part of that empathy. What I'm hearing you say and correct me if I'm wrong, is being empathetic and then not expecting to reduce that to sameness. Just holding space for this person may always react differently than me or have different priorities or be a different way or want different things. And how can we build a society that kind of has enough like shared values in some sense that we can hold space that everyone can still be different people and flourish in their own potential and desires. That's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. I would say that we've more so in the last five years, given what's happened politically, we've talked a lot about, or at least I have with my friends, about what it means to be American. And especially if you're not white, I think there's this impression that you're almost having to 
bridge this gap between how much you want to assimilate and how much individualism from your culture, from whatever your background is, whether it's cultural, like in my instance, or other orientations and experiences. But the question becomes, how much of you do you want to, or are you comfortable with putting out as part of you as your public face versus Mm -hmm. how much do you want to be like everyone else? When I was telling you earlier about how much time I've been taking looking at what I was doing, for example, in the workplace, I realized it was almost subconscious or unconscious that I was sort of dampening down who I was as a Chinese person or a Chinese American woman in the workplace because I knew that who I was and what differences I brought to the table wouldn't necessarily be celebrated. It is what it is in a way. But I would think that in a sort of utopian society, we'd all be celebrated for whatever differences we have and would be respected. The big word is respect in terms of my experiences with my colleague are going to be different than what they experienced growing up. And so I think we want to respect what we individually went through. And like you said, figure out a way that we can move forward in a way that that we can share and bridge the gaps, really. Yeah, definitely. One of the things I was hearing while you were talking that leads into our next and maybe last question is that, you know, you were really blazing a trail, if we want to put it that way, um, for yourself. And like, you didn't see other music writers that were Asian or Asian American women. And so you really had to, as you put it, like work so hard to make that space for yourself in the industry that you wanted to be a part of. And I definitely hear you on like you had a supportive community that was able to help with that, but also it took a lot from you. I'm wondering who were people that you looked up to along that journey. I mean, they don't have to be music Mm -hmm. or anything else, but who are some of your heroes? We're in the middle of football or soccer season with Premier League (laughs) football over in England. One of my heroes is this football player from Scotland named Andy Robertson. And Andy is really the epitome of never stop believing in what you can do, believing in yourself and never give up on your dreams. As a young Mm -hmm. boy in Scotland, he had this team Celtic that he really wanted to play for. He tried to I can't think of the word now. It's just gone out of my head. But you know what I mean? Audition for tryout. Yeah, that try was out. the word. <laughs> yeah. You could tell I'm not a sports person. I'm a spectator, not a not a player. <laughs> yeah, he tried out for Celtic and they didn't want him. And instead of letting that stop him in his tracks, he said, you know what? I'm going to try every avenue that I can to get to professional level. And he went through several different clubs. His parents kind of gave him an ultimatum and said, we're worried about you. We don't know if you can actually do this. I mean, they didn't say, we don't want you to do this. They were like, we're going to give you a year to try to get this done. And if you can't get it done, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you should think of something else. He just kept going from club to club. And now Mm -hmm. he's in one of the most famous, most important football clubs ever, Liverpool, which just happens to be my favorite club. (laughs) Yeah, he's one of those people I really want to meet one day and just say, you know, you're really an inspiration because you never gave up. People said no to you. And yet you kept going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the other hero that I thought of was Tom Chaplin, who's the singer of Keen, who I imagine, I hope a lot of the podcast listeners have heard of. He's known as the front man of Keen. He has this wonderful voice and they've had wonderful success over the last 
10 plus years, he went through a very difficult period of mental health challenges with anxiety and depression and was a drug addict. Mm -hmm. His story of redemption and recovery is truly inspiring. In fact, he went so far in 2016 to put out an album that basically was all about him coming back from the brink of wanting to kill himself, Mm. going through therapy and significant treatment and to come out on the other side. And he wanted people to understand that this is a difficult road to walk, but I was able to do it. And I'm so grateful for my wife and my friends who stood by me, even though I was an absolutely horrible person to them when I was deep in the throes Mm -hmm. of addiction. It takes a lot of guts to be vulnerable through art. And I think he really showed that through the album, that you really can come back from the lowest of lows. I think music is one of those mediums that can, of course, be purely used as temporary escapism. But this was an album that I think hit so many people emotionally because so many people struggle with anxiety and depression, whether or not they can talk about it or feel comfortable to reach out for help. And so I know that's how I felt about it. I was able to interview him as well to talk about it. And it's so funny because I think a lot of people think that musicians, especially when they get to that kind of level of fame that a band like Keen has, Mm -hmm. that they're untouchable, but they're really just people like you and me going through day-to-day struggles. And I Mm -hmm. think that's really what humanized him to me, putting out this album and being willing to be so open and talking about what he went through. Yeah. It's about human experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So... And how that's translated. And yeah, that's really special. I would love to link to that interview in the show notes if you can find it and send me a link. That would be, then people can tune in. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mary. I've loved letting listeners get to know you and I can't wait for them to hear the episode that you're going to create for the podcast soon. Thank you, Amelia. I love doing this with you today. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of 50 Feminist States. You can find show notes at 50feministstates.com slash podcast and follow us on Instagram at 50feministstates. Special thanks to Danielle Sines and Jessica Naria for our theme song. Until next time, wild ones, we'll see you on the road.